Hello and good day. This is your host, Anthony J. Ashitino, and welcome to another episode of After School History, where we are talking about all of the things that you wished you could talk about in history class, but for whatever reason were unable to do so. Today, I am going to talk about something that's been a little near and dear to my heart, um, something that uh, I've been talking to uh, about with uh, many people, many people, at the risk of sounding like President Trump. Uh, but these are real people. These aren't just imagined people that I think that I'm having conversations with. And the issue that I'm talking about today is um, the idea of putting together an agenda for the presidency. Now, one of the things that I think is going to be a major problem for the Democrats going forward in 2020 is that there seems to be this idea about, well, we have to fight Trump. We have to find someone that can beat Trump. We have to do anybody but Trump. Now, I'm not saying, in essence, that that's a bad idea. I mean, certainly, the idea of, of uh, you know, if you're a Democrat, of beating a President Trump, uh, that has to rank foremost in things. And if someone is polling uh, very badly against Trump, maybe that's not the person that should be, uh, you know, headlining your ticket. But I think if history has taught us anything, and you know, you only really have to go as far back as 2004 for this, the anybody but blank candidate isn't really as appealing as it might seem. I mean, in 2004, Democrats felt that uh, they could put anybody up against Bush. You know, um, the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan had kind of started to stall out. And the idea was, listen, we'll put someone out there, we'll put a war hero out there, a guy who had won multiple Purple Hearts, you know, and, and could run against Bush. Um, and this didn't work out so well. Uh, it didn't work out because people just felt that the the whole basis of Kerry's campaign was, it was an anti-Bush deal. Bush came from the perspective of, listen, don't change horses in midstream, the war president, you know, I'm, I'm defending America's honor. And at the end of the day, the economy, and I think that's probably the biggest thing, the economy was not bad enough um, yet. It was still doing pretty decently in 2004, where Bush was able to win. Now, that is scarily familiar um, terrain to people who look at 2020. Uh, there was a poll out today that I saw uh, by CNN which said that 54% of Americans expected Trump to win a second term, despite the fact, despite the fact that overwhelmingly, on every issue except the economy, he had negative ratings. Now, you can take that a couple of ways. I'll take it the most obvious way. It's the economy, stupid. Borrowing from Bill Clinton in 92. It's the economy, stupid. The bottom line in America is that when the economy is doing well, and I believe I referenced this in my first podcast ever, people tend to back the incumbent. They tend to go with him. It doesn't matter what else is going on. People vote with their pocketbooks. This has been tried and true in almost every election going back in the last 200 years. So from that perspective, as long as the economy can be seen to be going nicely, Trump has a, a better than average shot at being reelected. Now, in another episode, we can go into a lot of that and what it means. But for this episode, what I thought that I would do <clears throat> is talk about 
what my agenda, were I to declare for the presidency, which I have not yet, okay? I have not yet. Um, I've talked about it with people. I've spoken about it with many individuals who uh, know more than I do about, you know, the, the, the technicalities of running. And the bottom line is that one of the first things I learned, of, of course, it's all about the money. When you declare that you're running for the presidency, all of a sudden, bam, you've got a lot of things you have to file. You have to say, well, did I talk to someone? Did I get a dollar from someone because of this or that? But as long as you haven't declared you're running, as long as you haven't announced it, you can still go around and talk to people. You can do a listening tour. You can do a, you know, a, a Patriots engagement tour. Any of that stuff can be done. Uh, as long as you don't say, hey, I'm running. So I'm not running yet. I'm still talking to people. I'm still seeing what goes on. And I came up with a bit of an agenda. Now, in my defense, I came up with this a while ago. This has probably been six months ago uh, when I first thought about running for the presidency. So I'm going to go through the, uh, the list right here for my uh, devoted listeners. And uh, for anyone that's running, uh, if I don't end up running, um, do feel free to take any of these issues, which I feel are good for America, and run with them, incorporate them into your brand. I mean, you know, um, Uncle Joe Biden, if you're listening to this, you're probably not. But if you do manage to listen to this, um, take heed about this stuff, okay? Mayor Pete, take heed about this stuff. Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, um, you know, Cory Booker, all of you guys take, and, and gals, take heed to this stuff. So here we go. Let's start with the, start at the beginning. First of all, one of the easiest things that I think you can do, and this has been shown to, to uh, be proven from state to state, legalization of marijuana, okay? Um, it's stupid that this is still illegal. I don't support anything uh, giving it to children um, because there have been studies shown that it has um, negative effects on developing brains, much like alcohol. Alcohol, we don't allow it to be sold to children as well it should not. Nicotine-enhanced uh, products, we don't allow them to be sold to children, and they should not. Marijuana is the same way. should not be sold to children. But for adults, if you wish to partake, then you know what? We're going to have a small federal tax that will help contribute to social safety net programs, and states can send, set their own tax rates, and they can put that to work. Like school, you know, in, in Colorado, I've been reading great things about how schools have been funded because of taxes on marijuana, uh, people are doing it anyway. It, you know, it, it, it's become a kind of, you know, after so many years of being, um, you know, uh, vilified, it's become the, the devil's weed. No, this is ridiculous. Let's just come around to the fact that for adults, it's, it, it's really not much different than alcohol. Let's tax it. Let's use these proceeds uh, for good things, for funding education and for funding uh, state, you know, pensions and whatnot. Uh, and, and let's move on from this, okay? Let's move on from this. The second thing I would do is complete openness and access of the press to the office. Um, this current administration is an absolute abomination when it comes to free access of the press. If I were to become president, uh, what I would absolutely do, number one, I would I'll give most of the major players in uh, the news world 
Um, you know, they, they get my phone number. I said, listen, call me, text me, do whatever. We'll talk. Um, I would hold regular press conferences. I would hold regular conversations. I would tell them if there was something that I couldn't reveal because of a national security issues. But for the most part, I think that, you know, I really do feel in this case that you should be open. You should be open with the press. You should be engaging with the press. You should want them to bring to the American people what your message is. Um, if you're not doing something that's wrong, uh, you know, what do you really have to hide? And I think in this case, there's really nothing that you would have to hide. Um, you know, but that's that's just me. I would I would be on a regular conversational basis with a lot of the people uh, in the press, you know, talking to them about a variety of issues, making sure that they understood where this presidency stood. All right. Retraining of unemployed and underemployed Americans to help with things like infrastructure and a massive investment in infrastructure rebuilding and replacing bridges across the country. This is something that I think we've had to do for a long time. Okay, we've really had to engage with this. Um, Our infrastructure is falling apart at the seams. We've had to deal with this and there's no better time than to deal with it now. And I think that the bonus of this is that you can actually retrain people, okay, Uh, people who have found that their jobs have been outsourced. Well, you know what? Let's give you an opportunity, okay? And, And let's use that as an opportunity to rebuild things, to get things back on track. We do need to spend money on infrastructure in this country. There's no question. Every time a, a, you know, a, a thing comes out about you know, where our bridges are, where our roads are, I mean, it comes out we've got, we've got bridges that are on the verge of collapse in major areas. This is, this is just unconscionable that we have this. Come on. We've got to do better. All right. Fourth, a drug program that relies on treating addicts as addicts, not criminals. I think that this is something very important. Um, Right now in the United States, we treat addicts as addicts. Uh, I mean, sorry, we treat addicts as criminals. We don't treat them as addicts, okay? And that's wrong. The fact that the prison industry in this country, which I'll get to in a few minutes, the fact that the prison industry in this country is uh, for-profit for the most part uh, and, and is, you know, it's just disgraceful that we're treating these people as criminals. We need to treat them as addicts. We need to get them help. We need to have a nationwide needle exchange program, methadone available for addicts. We need to treat them as people who have a problem. Uh, And the problem is addiction. Addiction is terrible. It sucks. We have to treat them as people who have a problem, not as criminals. That's how we move that forward. I would have debt restructuring for college loans. Government backing guaranteed at low interest rates. One of the biggest problems we have with our youth today is that we have uh, tremendous amounts of of loans that they have when they graduate from colleges. Uh, I think that that puts them behind the eight ball right off the bat. Let's stop that. Let's get them right back into the economy because, you know, again, you can't have a consumer-based economy if you don't have people willing to consume. Um, I would have a partial tax and penalty amnesty for repatriation of funds that are being sequestered abroad. Many companies right now have money that's abroad. They've been keeping it away 
Why? Because they don't want to pay taxes in the United States. But here's the bottom line. You have to pay taxes, okay? You have to bring it back. But we're going to make it a little easier on you. We're going to give you that opportunity. Um, you bring it back, and we'll, we won't bring the hammer down. Just come back home. You have to pay some taxes. It's not fair and it's not right that you profit in the United States and you don't end up paying taxes on it. I know everyone else pays taxes. Bigger companies, uh, if you look at some of these companies, they pay nothing in taxes. Okay, So I think that we need to make that a major part of our effort to, to bring hundreds of millions, billions of dollars back in. Okay, seven, complete commitment to and backing of NATO. Again, I'm going to have to watch the tea that I drink in the morning, but I am a firm believer that NATO is a force for good. It is something that guarantees um, American involvement in Europe and guarantees that countries that are like-minded to the United States as far as our political and social and cultural ambitions, this is something that will work. So we need to back NATO on the tail end of that. A complete commitment to and backing of the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, climate change, I'm going to have to differ with the uh, current president of the United States, who obviously doesn't understand things. Climate change is real. It is real. It is affecting us. We need to start doing things to uh, change the way that we live. And we need to start making it better for the environment. And the only way we can do that is by committing ourselves to using less fossil fuels, to investing in alternative sources of energy. Um, the Paris Climate Agreement is something that will definitely help us out in this. Um, number nine, no jail sentences for nonviolent drug crimes. I'm tired of reading about how someone who had a dime bag ends up going to jail. Stop with this. This is stupid. Okay. If it's nonviolent, if it's a violent drug crime, yes, okay, you go to jail, it's violent. If it's nonviolent, this is stupid. Just give people a fine. I mean, again, we can talk about the validity of, of drug crimes in the future, but if it's nonviolent, let's go. Elimination of mandatory minimum sentences. The mandatory minimum sentences are something that prosecutors came up with years ago because it made them look good. It made them look tough on crime. We need to stop this, okay? Mandatory minimum sentences handcuff judges. They make it so that it's like, listen, you were, you know, you made a stupid mistake. You're a younger guy, and we would love to be like, listen, you know, wrap on the hands, don't do this again. But unfortunately, because of this, we have to sentence you to seven years in prison. You're ruining lives, people. You're ruining people's lives. We need to stop with this stuff. Okay, the private prison industry, end it. Period. End stop. Over and out, as for Hodgeby would say. We need to end this. Private prison industries, the fact that we do actually, um, you know, sublet out some of our prisons to private companies, this is abhorrent to the idea of justice. Because when people stand to make money off of who goes to prison, they're going to want more people in prison. That's just basic economics. This is absolutely insane. We do not want this. Prisons should be places where people go when they have committed egregious crimes against other people. A for-profit prison industry 
the incentive then is to have more people go to prison. Why do you think these people make lobbying? Uh, they, they lobby with millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars to make it so that, it, oh, well, you know, minimum, minimum mandatory sentencing. Young people can go to jail too, you know. Uh, there should be three strikes and you're out. They want people in jail because the more people in jail, the more money they make. This is ridiculous. Listen, we, we want people who have committed serious crimes to go to jail. Absolutely. But we don't want people who have done minor things going to jail. I mean, that ruins their lives. And the for-profit prison industry is going for that, okay? Um, you know, that's, that's where we have to work on that. We have to work on reintegration programs, okay? And we have to work on youth counseling and, and mentoring programs. You know, the, the saying is, what is it? An, an ounce of a prevention is worth a pound of the cure, Okay, so let's let's do that. All right, um, an international focus on promoting democracy and human rights, with a special focusing on human trafficking. I've talked about that before. In my last episode, I talked about that. We need to focus on it. Decriminalization of prostitution. I think that is something that goes without having to really explain. Um, stop punishing people for this. Support for net neutrality. Net neutrality is something that I'm a very big fan of. Um, You need to be able to have the internet be as free um, as possible, and you can't have companies deciding who has access to what. It should be absolutely free. Also, set up of a special czar for veterans to help them, including reduced cost housing for veterans, guaranteed living wages, health care for life, paid for college and trade schools. And my goal would be by the end of year four, you would have no homeless veterans. It is really sad. It's shocking and sad that you have so many veterans who are homeless. So many veterans who have mental health issues that are not being treated. We need to end this. We need to end this. One of the ways that I want to end it is by creating what I call veteran colonies. Veteran colonies would be large, self-sufficient establishments across the country in different places with in-house health care facilities, including psychological and social programs. Um, we could put them in a variety of places. We would be creating these large areas where veterans would be able to live with other veterans, people who had gone through many of the same things they had gone through, people who understood. I don't want this to be like a post-Vietnam scenario where it's, you know, guys are saying, listen, you don't know what happened out there. You weren't there. You don't know. You don't understand. No, I want veterans to be with other veterans who are like, listen, I was there. I understand or I know what happened, okay? And we can talk about it. That's, that's key to any kind of a change in the way that we deal with the mental health of our veterans. And honestly, a society that won't treat its veterans well is really a society that's worth next to nothing, if you ask me. Okay? It, it, this, is, this is disgraceful. The way we're treating our veterans right now is disgraceful. These people should be getting access to top-of-the-line everything, and instead we treat them the same way that we treat people who just walk in off the street for anything. Disgraceful. People that have put their lives on the line for our country for whatever reason they did. Okay? They deserve to have good treatment. And one of the other things I'd suggested <laughs> after a discussion with one of my students, actually, was with pets, 
pets that are around the country that are abandoned, that are put into uh, shelters. You know what? One of the greatest things that helps people out is having a pet, having a little kitten, having a dog. So you know what we're going to do under an Ashatino presidency? We'd be getting all of these pets that were in shelters that were possibly going to be euthanized, and we'd be flying them out. We'd be moving them out there, trucking them out, and putting them in these shelters for these veterans to deal with. Who wouldn't want a cuddly little kitten to come up to them? And and every day you got to play with a kitten, you got to deal with a dog, you got to talk to a dog and, and deal with a dog. I mean, these would be tremendous assets for our veterans, and besides which it would help out with the fact that we unfortunately do have a lot of uh, pets in this country right now uh, that don't have homes. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Elimination of all taxes on citizens making less than 35000 a year. I'm willing to debate the actual number, but I think that that's a great idea because, again, um, these are people that need this money to live, Okay. It doesn't matter if you're being taxed 40% if you're making $5 million a year. You can still live. But if you're making $30,000 a year and you're being taxed 20%, that becomes an issue. Okay, Major immigration reform. I am for full amnesty to current illegals, especially nonviolent criminals. If you are a violent criminal, no, you don't, you don't get amnesty. Okay, A clear pathway to citizenship made available. For these people, we can discuss the terms of that. Direct communication with countries where illegal immigrants, the pipeline runs uh, to counter the effects. We want to make it so that uh, these countries that have a lot of people going, why do they have people leaving? Can we do something about that? Can we make investments? Can we, can we help correct some of the problems in these countries? Again, you know, if we can do that, if we can help these countries and these people that are trying to flee the countries, countries like El Salvador, Nicaragua, uh, you know, parts of Mexico, let's, let's help them out. If we can invest in these countries, then let's make it so that, you know, they don't feel the need to flee to the United States. Okay, and and I'm still not saying that they're not welcome here. I am very welcoming of immigrants to this country, very welcoming. But you know, if you don't want people fleeing from a country and and overwhelming border, you know, patrols and whatnot, let's make it so that they feel that they have a chance in their own country. Let's make their own country an economic success. We can do that. We have the financial ability. We have the diplomatic abilities. Let's do it. Okay. Also, a severe penalties for human trafficking. Human trafficking to me, and I'm not a fan of the death penalty, but human trafficking should be about as close to the death penalty as it gets. Um, I think that people who traffic humans are despicable. They are uh, just, they are modern day uh, slave mongers, and they should be treated as such. Uh, My final points, subsidizing or free birth control, especially in low income areas, to help people that uh, to help women who you know have run into issues um, so that they don't get caught in a cycle of poverty. Graduating doctors who pledge to work in government-sponsored health clinics, they get a tax break or low interest rate on their student loans. I want them to feel that helping the government out and helping people who are in need will be a benefit to them. Again, people don't act without what would I call, what we call, the incentive motive, Okay. Uh, this is an understanding of people who have studied capitalism. 
you don't really want to do something unless it's going to benefit you. So then let's give them something that's going to benefit them. But by benefiting them, will also benefit all of us. Okay? Tax break, low interest rate on student loans. Finally, my last two points, guaranteed free health care until 18. I think that that's very important for a lot of, a lot of students. And the final point would be <clears throat> that we have uh, lowering the drinking age to 18. Uh, I think that it's a little silly right now, personally, that you can actually be called upon to go off and fight against people who are opposed to our way of life. You can be called upon to engage in a running gun battle with people. You can be shot. You can be wounded. You could be maimed for life. And yet, you can't go down to the bar, and if I see you, I can't be like, hey, you're a veteran. You've got your, you know, you're missing a limb, and you're a veteran. You're wearing your uniform. Um, or I ask you, how did you lose your, your arm? Oh, I lost it in Iraq. Let me buy you a drink. I'm sorry, sir, you can't buy me a drink because I'm not 21. That, to me, is just ridiculous. Uh, let's stop being stupid about things. Let's be realistic. Let's be pragmatic about stuff. And, and let's, let's make America, again, a, a country which it has been for the overall majority of its time, a country that is uh, pragmatic, a country where people understand that there are certain things that are reasonable no matter what side of the political spectrum you lie upon. So those are my thoughts. Uh, please feel free to comment on things, whether you feel that my uh, ideas would make for a good presidency or not. Uh, any other suggestions you have for the presidency, I'm always willing to hear. Um, again, for the record, I've not decided to run yet, but it's still early. It's only June of 2019. I still got some time. So if you want me to run for the presidency, make a comment, give me a like, go ahead and, uh, and, and do what comes to mind. And for the rest of you, um, either way, I will uh, be back in touch soon with another episode. Have a great night and uh, I will talk to everyone later. Bye bye.